0: Welcome to the very first episode of Amplify. This week we are diving right in with something we all have in common, waste. Someone once said that in nature and in California, there is no waste and I'm just going to save you the time from Googling who said that because it was me, just now. And the reason I feel like that is because the words zero-waste lifestyle always seem to conjure up images of influencers. In what seems like, and more often than not, actually is sunny LA posting pictures of themselves with their waste neatly organized into mason jars. A hashtag zero waste lifestyle that is inaccessible to many of us. In India on the other hand, the problem is assuming gigantic proportions and the numbers are staggering. Urban India is the world's third largest garbage generator. And by 2050, waste is expected to rise to 436 million tons per annum. In a report published by the Central Pollution Control Board in 2009, 62 million tons of solid waste is produced in our country every year. 43 million tons of this is collected and 11.9 million tons is treated. The remaining 31 million tons is dumped into land. With such statistics, what exactly does a zero-waste lifestyle even mean in India? How do you begin to measure your waste, let alone reduce it? How do you find time to do any of this whilst juggling other responsibilities such as work, study, caregiving, etc.? What are the steps that we as a society can take at an individual level, at a policy-making level, and within the private sector to effectively and efficiently manage our waste? Thank you so much for agreeing to speak with me.
1: Yeah, oh, Thank you. Yeah,
0: thanks for having us. Okay, so for the listeners, I am speaking to uh, Seher Mansour, who is the founder of Bare Necessities, which is an incredible startup that's based in Bangalore and sells zero waste, all sustainable products. And their CMO, whose name is Mehul Manjeshwar. Mehul Manjeshwar. Manjeshwar, yes, who is also joining us. So thank you so much for being on this episode. And if you could just talk about what led to the birth of this company, Seher, and
1: start off. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. So a little bit about Bare Necessities. Essentially, we created this uh, with the premise that we can create earth-friendly, zero-waste products that aren't loaded in plastic, aren't packaged in plastic, aren't loaded with chemicals, and essentially help everyone who is looking to consume a more Earth-friendly or mindful lifestyle, give them options and solutions. And essentially, you know, the products became a way to help people visualize what a zero waste lifestyle looks like. And essentially, we also do tons of talks and workshops um, and awareness campaigns, which range from, you know, working with corporates, working with school kids, you know, we've done stuff at cafes and yoga studios, essentially to just kind of get the conversation around waste and sustainability into more like public discourse and just mm-hmm. make it mainstream and accessible.
0: Yeah. And so you were in the U.S. before you moved to India and started this, right? Yeah. And so what about the sustainability sector in the U.S. led to your drive or your motivation behind starting this and, and what what, was the kind of, what were the kind of roles that you were involved in while you were in the US? Can you tell us a bit more? Yeah,
1: sure. So I essentially moved to Los Angeles when I was 17 for my undergraduate mm-hmm. and um, I was a political science major. I wanted to be like a lawyer. Uh, so I was in a pre-law track and then I took this one environmental course that you know, made me kind of re-examine my lifestyle and really think about environmental issues in a way that I hadn't yet before. In true LA style, it was extremely hippie. It was world religions and ecology. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, in that course, we watched the short documentary of this lady named Bia Johnson, mm-hmm. who was living a zero waste lifestyle and had this just 500 gram jar of all of the waste her two kids, her husband and herself had produced in like four odd years. Mm. And I was just being completely amazed and inspired, but also thinking that is so inaccessible. I'm never going to be able to do that. You know, I have a scholarship to maintain. I have three jobs on campus. Yep. You know, she probably has tons of time on her hands to go, you know, shopping at expensive places like Whole Foods, etc. But of course, it like left me really inspired. And I was doing things like carrying my own water bottle or whatever. You know, I also then went to my college professor and my dean's office and said, hey, like, can we have an environmental major? You don't have, like, the major I want here. And I started to take classes on, like, surfing science and environmental engineering and, you know, um, environmental economics.
0: That sounds super Um, interesting. Environmental engineering in particular.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so essentially, honestly, I was looking at um, waste and, you know, energy and waste issues uh, from a very, like, elitist academic perspective because you know post that i moved to university of cambridge i thought i wanted to be now at this point a professor you know i was looking at it from a very top-down perspective yeah it was almost very linear it was very elitist uh fast forward a few years i worked at the world health organization where i looked at things for the first time from a health perspective yeah And uh, then fast forward another year, I moved back to India in 2015, Mm -hmm. and I was working um, with waste pickers on one of the projects at my solar energy company. And essentially, that made me really kind of stop and think and question and really started this zero waste journey for me.
0: Okay. Wow, that sounds amazing. And Mehul, can you please walk us through what led you to uh, being a part of Bare Necessities team as you know it today.
2: So it's not environmental engineering. It's none of that. It's a conventional <laughs> millennial guy getting through life. Okay. <laughs> um, I was just doing sales. I, I'm like a business major um, in undergrad. So I did my undergrad and then I did um, my sales job for a startup company. So I've already startups. And then during my experience at the sales company, I watched a movie and it was called Life. And it's like a movie with aliens and like, it's insanely scary, it's all about Mars, but actually there's like one 10 second shot of like Earth. Yeah. And like, that was really powerful because it, it just put into perspective all the things that come in perfect balance for something to exist, like us, yeah. a planet, atmosphere, all that, yeah. so that itself was just like, how are we not grateful for these kind of things? And um, so since then I started doing my own research. I didn't necessarily go on the same lines Sahir did, but like I started doing my own research, started volunteering for organizations, and then the conventional way was I traveled. So then when I traveled, of course, I had this whole mind blowing experience and inspiration. Yeah. And with all the pollution out there, I definitely took part in more garbage cleanups and like committees, local committees, when I traveled to help to understand the problem. And then when I came back, I decided to do my master's and the university I applied to, I applied to only one university because they focused their master's on sustainability. So various yeah. different they had courses, they had a specific like committee in the university that you can join and it um, focus only on raising awareness of like, sustainability, whether it's economical, political, or environmental. So then I could join that and like learn more and through that and volunteering, I was able to like really kind of learn stuff. And then I was doing a similar initiative like yours where I was talking to people and asking them questions. And then that's how I came across Seher and then I needed an internship. So I was like, Hey, Seher, you need an internship, you're doing great things. So can I join yeah. your journey? So now I'm here.
0: I love that. I love how it just um, very prophetically started from this film that you saw called Life. And it's and everything that then ensues kind of sounds like an epiphany. Like you were in a movie of your own where you were just like, Oh my God, I finally found my inner purpose. I love that. <laughs>
2: yeah. Google it. You will see like a scary photo. Okay. But, yeah. I will do that. 10 second shot, which is beautiful.
0: Yeah. And so like when you started Seher you started off in your kitchen, right? You started making the products from scratch. And so what? who were your first customers and, and what were the initial obstacles that you had to overcome when you were making
1: all of this? Yeah, so honestly, my mom has been so patient, like God bless her uh all of my first few experiments failed you know what all took place in her kitchen my laboratory yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) so you know essentially I was making all of these products and then on weekends I was like dispatching them and shipping them across town to different stores working my full-time job it was quite a chaotic fun time um what was your first question?
0: Either? No, so, so I mean, so my question was just that you were using this kitchen as your laboratory. And so what was the experience like making these products from scratch and then finally getting them to the consumer? Like, you know, convincing people in India to actually be like, here, I've made this paste, you know, from homemade ingredients. Yeah. And this is what you should purchase from bare necessities. Yeah.
1: yeah. So honestly, if it didn't start with the products. First started with the toxin workshops. Okay. Slowly, that led for people to ask questions around like, hey, what can I do? How can I make my own products? Only we started doing one workshop every month. Yeah. And slowly people were like looking out for us. They were coming for the bare necessities table to see kind of what was the new product that was added this month. So honestly, that was one of my funnest times because I felt like I was in this process of co-creating with mm-hmm. this first cohort of customers. Yeah. You know, it consisted of like, Hipster teenagers who are like, I want like to deodorant to like young moms. Oh my God, I've been on my feet all day. You know, your bath salts at the end of the day are super, super useful. So I think I noticed that there was like this convergence with young moms who are totally knowledgeable about like ingredients in their regular personal care products. And just generally people who care about um, nature enthusiasts or wellness enthusiasts who care about yoga, sustainability. Yeah, they, I just kind of noticed that they were kind of our like first few supporters, customers, you know, yeah. co-creators. And then basically it was kind of, then there was a small demand for products. So then basically okay. we would have a new product each month and then I would display whatever we had. Oh, so, okay, understood. You know, end of the nine months, then we had like nine, ten products. And slowly at that point, bulk stores were approaching us. And then yeah. we were labeling for some pretty nice, big, organic grocery store brands and dispatching those through my car, um, you know, (laughs) which happened through Indian Postal Service with me dropping things off. I had one lady who often just came here and took a nap and said this was her easiest job because we had no orders (laughs) in the early days. So, You're the
0: dream employer then. (laughs) And so you guys, so you've been in the U.S. and Mehul's been in Canada. Which I know from my stalking slash research of your company. I love that, you know, your average social media stalking when you're doing something like a podcast turns into very important preliminary research. I love that. <laughs> um, so, because of the research that I've done on you guys and the experience that you have in the US and Canada, respectively, as vis a vis India, can you talk a little bit more about what has your understanding been and what are people's awareness levels like when it comes to sustainability over there and sustainability in India?
2: So I particularly came back Mm. because I thought that India had less awareness. Mm -hmm. So I thought that I'd come back and I'd have this like tangible way to help and tangible way to see the difference I'm making. But then I started realizing that when I came here that there are shortcomings in Canada that's actually um, under the blanket. You can't really see these things happening. People are aware, people are, they definitely recycle, compost, these kind of things, but at the same time, they don't know why, possibly, or they still, there's still single use plastic everywhere. There's still so many problems there that that are not visible because the country is probably clean and the country has, it's just peaceful. But when you come here, there's like this whole um, noise pollution, air pollution, chaos. Emotion, chaos yeah. Exactly. So all of a sudden, you're looking at all the bad things and you're like, oh, great, India's a mess. But the moment I started working in this, with bare necessities and in this industry, doing talks and workshops, whatever it is, I realized that the problems that are here are also problems that are elsewhere in any country, to be honest. It's only magnified here a little bit because of population. It's easier to compare and contrast countries rather than saying like this place is better to live than this place or this place is easier to make a difference than this. It's actually the same anywhere you go, in my opinion. So which is why it, it, the transition made, for me was a little bit easier than what I expected because at one point I was just like this guy coming from Canada, just thinking, like, this is the best life to live because of nature and sports and all outdoor activities I could do. And to come into a country where, like, you have to, you can't breathe properly because of air pollution. It's actually, this, there's different kinds of problems in different countries, and people need to understand that as well. Yeah. What about you?
1: Yeah, I think you're just confronted by a waste in India, you know, walking down the street. Anyway, you're just confronted by, it. like, over there, I think there's the waste infrastructure systems are so developed or whatever, you know, I feel like that, Overnight, little fairies have just come and cleaned, and you don't kind mm. of continue, you don't examine, you don't think about it because yeah. it's not in your face. But of course, now social media is kind of changing things around, where we do know way more about our waste than we did even four years ago. To be honest, it was just not a conversation in public discourse; it was not on our social media feeds. So I think it's also really encouraging to have seen that kind of it kind of increase over. Yeah, over, that evolution sort of take place. Yeah, absolutely. And now you see, it's very encouraging because EU is, you know, planning to buy, buy single-use plastic, you know, over the next few years. So, you know, there have been just legislations around the world, around cities that are moving in that right direction and that are sh- examining and showing you, like, real-life examples of implementation happening. But That's also been really encouraging. Yeah,
0: and I, I think that this, what you just said links in particularly well with the point that you were making before about how sustainability in the West is a forte of like upper class, elite, you know, very niche audience. Like, you know, you will find people in LA who are just like, oh, you know, I'm going to go for like a cleanse and then that cleanse at the spa, which uses turmeric sauce from India costs like yeah. $700 or something ridiculous like that, you know? So I think in India, there's always, there have been more sustainable ways to do things. But it's just that because of the change in our uh, middle class and the increase in consumerism, we are sort of like consuming more and we're not in touch with the waste that we're creating.
2: I think, yeah, that's, that's a great point. But I also would like to add the fact that we really value convenience a lot. In yeah. our life. And I think that's like a point I make in any talk and workshop that I do because now if, if I want anything, the first thing I look for is a shortcut to get it, whether it's online shopping, whether it's, getting my food delivered. Mm. If I'm going to carry something, I'm I i do not want to carry my own bag because it's not convenient. Yeah. So I think we've like put convenience at this whole new level. So that's why all these single use plastics are because now if I go out to a shop, I can buy a small bag of chips rather than buying a bulk, right? So convenience has taken this precedence in our life and I don't think I think that's driven plastics, the economy for plastics and all that up. And that's why there's all this single use plastic, which we cannot recycle or cannot do anything with because people are just making this in mass. Yeah. To meet our convenience and meet our needs.
0: Yeah. So that's a really good point. And it actually kind of segues well into my next question, which was how do consumers then differentiate between greenwashing and actual companies and like yours that, you know, are dedicated to this, that are doing this over and above, just sort of making a quick buck of a convenient, one-time solution?
1: Honestly, I think that is a little bit of a complex question, but I think in this era of information, we have all the information we need, like whether it's ingredients in our personal care products or home care products, we can distinguish what is, you know, um, good for our body, our health, our environment, versus what's not even like the easiest way i think to do it is to see if you can recognize or pronounce the ingredients on the back of it. yeah <laughs> anything it could be your foundation that you're using in the morning your toothpaste that you're using anything at all and if you recognize those ingredients and you can pronounce them that is a good sign mm-hmm. honestly i think um, there is so much dream washing nowadays uh, that's largely because the big fmcg com- com- companies or the big fast fashion companies that have basically, you know, uh, profited over the past, gosh, 30, 40, 50 years, have these insane marketing budgets and have mm-hmm. insane distribution channels um, that they are really leveraging to put out this green message, however um, inauthentic or authentic they are. And that, that's basically what is eye-catching, what is kind of seen on newspaper real estate or yeah. TV real estate or otherwise. Just because they also have the budgets to do so, you know. Yeah. But I think the world is seeing this shift. And I think one of my favorite examples is just us as millennials. I think we're consuming and buying products that align with our values.
0: Yeah, and exactly. That's exactly. why you can see like
1: huge fast fashion companies, even like Forever 21 that are filing for bankruptcy because we as a you know generation are showing our shift in consumption patterns by things that we really value. Yeah. And we are putting environment over other things. Yes. And I also think just with the climate strikes, etc., we are a really, really kind of engaged generation. And I think these are all really like positive signs that I see. And I think we're not going to just accept any answer. And I think, I think we are trying to be pretty authentic, whether it's the way we communicate through our Instagrams or whatever.
0: I love your Instagram.
1: I <laughs> hope oh, <sure. laughs>
0: I love it. It, I just instantly, and you know, it's so rare to find a space. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I just want to like gush in on here. Mm. It's so rare to find a space on Instagram because of the nature of Instagram. Sort of, it always leaves you with a sense of formal that whenever I'm on your page, I'm like, ah, I feel so well, you know, I'm not even kidding. I'm not exaggerating. And that's just very few pages that can inculcate that sense of like calm
1: that yours can. Oh, that's so kind. <laughs> Thank man. you. But also, we to take credit for our bare Instagram.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, Mehul, if you want to weigh in on the incredibly calming, meditative marketing techniques that you use. <laughs>
2: uh, this, again, is nothing really. I mean, I, for the longest time, I mean, Sarah obviously set it up before I joined the marketing part, of it, but the only reason I've been able to continue is because I feel in line with the vision in line with my values I feel that when I come up with ideas for campaigns, it's like what authentically I want to put out there rather than me having to force this thing to sell bare products or something like that. It's not, half of things are not even to sell bare products. Some of it is, but then some of it is just genuine campaigns trying to highlight people, highlight initiatives, highlight other businesses that are doing good things. It just It's just a way to show that for this shift to happen to a greener economy, we all need to be in it together, as cliche as that sounds, but we all need to be in it together. And um, just adding to that greenwashing point, these big FMCG companies that Sahar mentioned that are greenwashing, as negative as that sounds, in the positive sense, that's happening because of people like us, of people like yeah. you as well because of the demand, and they're getting pressurized to make these changes, and they might not have the right means to make these changes, which is leading to this greenwashing concept. And I think we just need to slow down and research because there's so much information out there that you don't know what's fake, what's real. So I think power of Google is like a benefit and we got to like use that big time. Yeah,
0: I like that. I like how you're positive about that. And I think that that's true because, you know, consumers are demanding more. They are expecting better, which is why even these companies feel the need to do or run these greenwashing sort of initiatives Mm -hmm. or campaigns. Right. And what Initiatives would you personally like to see big brands take? Because for example, you guys do workshops and talks and um, advocacy work on ground level, which I think is great. So do you think that is a effective way for big companies to sort of spread the word and to actually put in the legwork? Or what do you think? Oh
1: my god, I have lots of opinions on this. <laughs> yes, opinions, we want opinions. <laughs> I mean I don't know if this is like i i mean i think we really need to just completely revamp our current you know uh, fashion industry fmcg industry um i I think we just need to start producing in smaller units that are decentralized using ingredients that are native and local you know whether that's coconut oil in south india and that's you know apricot or walnut oil in north of india and himalayas whether you know maybe small cooperative run solutions that are producing these amazing personal care products that cater to those markets and that have like a shared value and have like can share profits on the revenue that is you know from the sale of those products so i think we just need to shift to a completely decentralized model even these fast fashion fmcg brands we don't need any of that we can also be you know wearing and embracing more ink and block print and bandhani because honestly india is so so lucky because we are have abundant natural resources we have um, amazing forms of textiles and mm-hmm. you know where the land of small entrepreneurs and i think we should leverage that and i think we should can restructure and reimagine our current world in which there is more shared value principles with local economy and where they can share profits even yeah. if that brings like the big Unilevers of the world um, have these centralized units everywhere, and these you know men and women are producing these products, and then if they are retailing and doing you know, selling a revenue really job, they get a profit share from that revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Just generally, I think we need to completely revamp the way we're completely consuming to a more localized pattern, and I think that's more environmentally just. It's more sustainable our footprint is lighter. Yeah. For so many more equitable. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. To add to that, I completely agree. And that was like the business, the operational, all that. So I'm going to take a philosophical <laughs> mindset, philosophical approach to this.
1: Sure.
2: I think simple mindsets need to change. Even if we make such, even for changes to start happening, a management that doesn't see this as a problem is never going to change a big company to make these differences. So I think if a management, if top down, if we're looking top down and a manager seems to change his mindset and seems to be open to making changes, then yes, that can happen. But I also think that, if we're talking Indian context as well, a lot of us are like going with the grind, going with the flow, not even the flow, we're just going with this grind, this pressure that we have to become a doctor, engineer, whatever, whatever, whatever. And we're going, after we study, we go to this job that's like the job and that's it. But now I feel like for the shift to happen, for these companies to change, people need to start questioning in their own companies. They need to start pushing for something bigger than just salaries or whatever it is, because there's a big problem out there. And if that happens, then people like, what she said your management will be comprised of people who are like who care about the environment who care about profits, but they also care about the environment and know how to find that fine balance and then they can actually do this whole decentralized system which we need and this whole revamp that they actually need
0: yeah again i love that all of your comments seem to neatly segue into every question that i have because the next question i'm going to ask is about obstacles and overcoming them so seher you're a founder, you're a solo founder, right? And um, you read all of these news as to like, oh, well, you know, not news, but like all of these like incubator programs, and, and like investors always say you should have a co-founder, and being a solo startup founder can be quite isolating. It can have a lot of pressures that are difficult to deal with by yourself. So what are some of the mental health issues that you experienced or you faced, and how did you overcome that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think. Our generation is also kind of facing higher and higher rates of exhaustion and just, you know, reporting way more kind of uh, mental health issues than any other. And I think that is a byproduct of many things, our lifestyle, the pressure that we put on ourselves, or society puts on us and multiple things. Yeah, I don't think it's been like super smooth sailing. We've definitely had like lots of ups and downs. But I will say that I'm super, super lucky that I have an amazing team. You know, I think surrounding yourself with people who are way more talented, better, smarter, calmer yeah. <laughs> it has been the key for me. And then having like amazing mentors to like ground you and root you, you know, like root for you, but also who really like ground you. I've definitely, you know, my Sanjay, uh, my mentor Sanjay office, always, I've definitely kind of left our one-on-ones sometimes crying because I just don't know what to do. And I'm so stressed because of multiple things. And I think in the early days we faced so much rejection because I, I remember at one point I was in this like phase of just like pitching, 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 and like trying to get funding. And I remember just like racking up the rejections. Um mm-hmm. and then I was like, you know what? Forget about it. Let me just like focus on the business and try and build the business. And sure enough, as we build the business, as we prove that there was more tra- you know, traction, as we increased our customer bases, that's when people were organically reaching out to us to potentially invest. Yeah. So I think uh, that was a really good lesson and learning. I just, you know, I think this lesson that I learned was there's no substitute for hard work. And um, don't be super disheartened. I know it sounds super cliche, but like, just go for it and keep working at it. And at some point it'll work out.
0: Yeah. Okay. And Mehul, I want to slightly alter the question for you because you are spending so much of your time on social media, right? Which can be quite a hectic chaotic and like negative space how do you deal with the pressures of that in addition to whatever issues or experiences you might already be having
2: so this takes like takes you back a bit because um, now I'm like totally good with what is whatever is happening in the world as long as I know that I'm trying my best to make a change and I'll do whatever I can to make the change but before earlier on when I was doing my master's and all that there was a time where I was facing like they call it eco-anxiety or climate anxiety or or what that was at that point. But every time I watched the news, every time I was on social media, all I saw was forest fires, tsunamis, politicians not doing anything, companies not doing anything. And I was constantly getting depressed, constantly not, like I wasn't always in my day, like in the moment, as you call it. So then what I started doing is actually researching businesses and companies out there that are doing good. And I realized that there's so many and Mm businesses that are not they don't have a spotlight on them because media doesn't make money off good things out there media makes money
1: yeah,
2: off absolutely them. so that's not being spotlighted so all of a sudden instead of watching the news and the media and all that, i started focusing on the positive things of things positive things in business and positive things of people and i realized that there's so many things out there so why should i even focus on these fragmented news media outlets mm. i decided focus on these positive things. So now when I'm on social media and I see something negative, in the back of my mind, I know that there are good things happening out there. There is a shift happening, however slow it might seem. We do need to understand this is a huge world. So changing is going to be super slow, super incremental, but it is happening. So uh, I constantly keep that in the back of my mind now, even when I'm like taking care of social media, when people message me being like, I don't know, all kinds of like weird messages at times. Mm.
0: Yeah, that other inbox Uh, can be quite, (laughs) quite another minefield to navigate sometimes.
2: (laughs) So then you just laugh it off and you're like, you know what, I know that I'm, I'm here because I know I'm doing something good. And as long as you know that deep down within you, then that's all that matters.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. And what tips do you have for the uninitiated to sort of overcome the whole like, oh, Is it really going to make a difference if I do something very small today to sort of get into the habit of being consistent rather than like sort of having this all or nothing mentality that either, you know, change is going to happen and it's going to materialize all tomorrow or it's just never going to happen? Like, how do we find the balance for that? What tips do you have?
2: So for me, again, it's for me, it's bigger than this environmental problem. Mm
0: It's
2: it's the whole mindset thing, that's all I'm going to keep emphasizing, it's yeah. a mindset thing. Um, if you ask, if you just slow down your life a couple seconds at a time and you decide to walk and you look around instead of thinking what you're going to do next, you'll okay. realize this plastic problem, that you, this garbage problem that you see, or you'll realize the congestion that you see. Nowadays, we don't notice it because we're just like blind to it and we're kind of mm-hmm. used to it. So. My, my advice to people who think that incremental changes will not make a difference is to yeah. slow down their lives and realize that look at the ingredients in the back of your products. Like, yeah. people, we don't do that when we slow down our lives. But when we slow down, look at it and see that these are chemicals that you're putting on your body and you shouldn't be. Or when you eat, these are things you might not want to eat. Or when you're walking in the street and you see that one toothbrush, it's actually similar to what you're doing if you're using a plastic toothbrush. So... I think if we just thought about this in a mindful way and in a slow living way, we'd realize it's cliche, but more to life than just like fast paced buying stuff and just disposing it off. And um, it's 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 not that we need to think about what happens after. It's just it's just thinking about like where are this product's going, what's the whole entire life cycle, not necessarily just the environmental implications, but also who manufactured it where the raw materials came from it's about thinking about all these things and asking questions rather than just going with this flow that we go with that we're taught to go with
1: yeah and um, you have i mean i think why people should care is because we are currently living in the largest global garbage price of our lifetime the ipcc reports out we know what's happening you know we know what it needs to take in terms of policy legislation individual action to decarbonize our economies. So I think that's how we should care. And um, while it seems really small and basic, you know, knowing that we have a part to play, like mm. every toothbrush that you've used in your entire lifetime is just sitting somewhere on this planet. And I think that's crazy. I just, whenever I think about that, I'm like, you know, that is insane that a toothbrush is going to live on this planet for 700 years and like outlive oh. your great grandchildren if, you know, climate change doesn't get asked But anyway, yeah. so I think... Sometimes it's hard to think that none of our actions have impact. But also if you visualize your waste, that's a great way to kind of change impact. Same with your Google Watches or like whatever, right? If you're trying to track your health metrics, only then you can make changes on it. So only if we, when I started putting all of my waste in a little cloth bag and kind of looking at it and analyzing it at the end of each day is when I kind of noticed what were my sources of waste and how I can kind of make changes in my life to reduce it. So however small it might look, I think all of the small little actions and baby steps really builds up to a huge impact. Um, So we should never underestimate um, the power of one.
0: Yeah, that's great. And do you have any final comments on being hopeful and sort of being like holding on to the fact that actually we are going to get through this and we're not going to sort of give in to the flurry of negativity Whether it's via news or notifications or just naysayers.
1: Yeah. I mean honestly I am inspired so often by people who are doing such amazing things, you know, like whether it is solar energy solutions, Mm -hmm. working with underserved communities through all throughout India and you know, solarizing public health centers, boat clinics, agri equipment for farmers. It's amazing because it's impacting livelihoods. It's, you know, um, work, you know, increasing our, just strengthening local economy while addressing the energy gap and, you know, while reducing dependency on fossil fuels. So there are just like so many examples all around, even like a fel- just the amount of plastic free alternatives that have come up in the last few years or the number of, you know, researchers I know and scuba divers I know who are now doing more oceanic conservation and research. I mean, I think the careers in the environmental space and the health space and public health space, just impact careers um, has like exponentially increased since I, you know, um, since even 10 years ago. And I think that is so, so encouraging that that many people um, are picking to pick, you know, are choosing to spend their time on impact careers. So that is a testament to how motivated, excited and hopeful our generation is. And I think we're really going to leave this planet in a cleaner way than we found it.
0: Wow. That is actually very encouraging.
2: (laughs) We can end it at that if you want.
0: uh, No, I mean, if you want to say something, otherwise I'll just burst into a hopeful song or something like that, you know? we will be like, (laughs) oh my God.
2: (laughs) Pretty well summed up. I just, like, that's the the impact careers part of it. There's so much room for us to make a change. Um, So many creative ways we can do it. Yeah. Um, and I think that we need to understand that the economy is driven by us, not by companies, it's driven by demand, not supply. Yeah. So if we really Absolutely. think about it, then that's where you can really think about how much power you actually have, mm. by demanding the right things, by asking the right questions. And I think that's happening, because if that wasn't happening, then this shift, this news, new stuff that's coming about on, on environment, on green mm-hmm. yeah. economy, wouldn't really come out. Yeah. And uh, I think just because of this demand that we're slowly shifting, is because why everyone is shifting to CSR or shifting to social enterprises or NGOs or whatever it is. So I think it's a it's a good thing to constantly look at companies that are doing good in the world rather than just uh, big companies are following this um, this following this path constantly.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. That is both like that was a great point by both of you, and um, I think we're going to end it there. Got some great content. Thank you so much for being on this show and I will add all the relevant information about your website, your Instagram and my favorite products that you guys have on the little blurb that you're supposed to put once I figure out where that goes and uh, so thank you thank you so much for being on my show on my baby podcast I'm to be on your show I'm
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so honored like, we had a blast also
1: just chatting Yeah, those
2: are great questions as well so oh
0: thank you guys yeah thank you so much yeah maybe I'll get you for season two and then have like even more specific incisive questions (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) thank you so much thank
0: you and that marks the end of this week's episode thank you so much for tuning in You can find all the relevant links and handles to know more about our guests this week in the episode description. If you have any feedback, suggestions, requests, or simply just want to get in touch with us, then please do head over to our podcast website. We are available to flag and say hi to via Facebook, Instagram, or email. Thank you and see you next week.